Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we start this week's show, um, many of you who have listened to the last few weeks know that I'm getting uh, married this weekend. It's going to be an incredibly exciting, uh, very, very happy time. But I'm also sort of quite aware um, that with the news this week about uh, what happened in Las Vegas, that while I'm celebrating one of the happiest days of my life, there are dozens of families, um, hundreds of families potentially uh, in the United States that are having the worst weekend of their lives. And so sort of from Ian and I, we sort of wanted to send our our love and our thoughts out to um, to our American listeners and to anyone um in Vegas, obviously, who's who's been affected. We're, we're very aware of the different sort of weekends we're going to be having, and um, yeah, we're um, it's it's been all over the news here, and we're not going to get too political <laughs> on on this, but uh, you know, we're we're thinking of you. All. We sure are, and obviously, I mean, you and I have both spent time in Vegas. I, for me, I've spent probably more time there than I have in a lot of UK cities um, because obviously CES is there every year. I know the CEA made a a statement about it. And yeah, I mean, anyone who's been there will know that it's full of people who, you know, work really hard to make um, a place that isn't entirely part of reality. But it's easy to forget that those people are also uh, perfectly normal human beings with perfectly normal lives. So something like this is, uh, is very sad indeed, as they always are when we have, you know, people who are badly behaved. Badly behaved doesn't really cover it, does it? But you know what I mean. <laughs> Extremely badly yes. badly behaved, certainly, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so our, our thoughts are with you guys. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And as ever, brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons continually supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you're a patron, this is your extended cut of this week's show. You know that. Uh, but if you're not a patron, uh, but would like to get our extended cuts or our unedited versions, our weekly column, uh, wrote a really interesting piece, I think, uh, this week about VPN uh, systems, um, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and find out how you can support us. It's as little as one US dollar uh, per week. And there's no commitment, so you can give us a try. And if you don't like it, no hard feelings. Um, New patrons this week, Robinson and Fernando. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, We really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who is leaving us reviews on iTunes, telling their friends and family um, who are listening on our free feed. You're both equally valuable to us uh, in those two different ways. So thank you, everybody. Now, um, I'm getting married. In fact, this episode will be going out probably about the exact time that i'm actually getting married um this is joy of the internet you see you can schedule stuff and record things in advance um <laughs> if but... i see a laptop on the day <laughs> while you're yes. sat there you know yes, just putting exactly. the podcast live well you, something may happen because there's me and there's you and there's 
Tom Merritt and um, probably about four other podcasters, Rory from Top Gear. Like, there's a lot of media people in there, so it wouldn't surprise me if... Uh, <laughs> An if impromptu podcast. We all get together and do something impromptu, but who knows? Um, but the weekend after that, um, I'm going to be on my honeymoon, so we are going to be putting out a special episode uh, next week um, to sort of summarise our thoughts and our reviews of the iPhone 8 and the Apple Watch. Um, that's going to be going out early to our patrons as well, because it's done, so we might as well put it out there. Uh, there'll be no charge for that, so you'll skip a week of, uh, of, of patronage, uh, and then that'll go out the following week on our free feed, and then we'll return the weekend after. It's very exciting. Um, thank you to everybody who sent us some lovely, uh, well, sent me some lovely uh, messages since last week about the wedding. And, oh, that's um, sweet. Yeah. Shall we get on with marrying our show with the news, Ian? <laughs> that's a hackneyed segue. Congratulations. Yes, let's get on with it. Well, hackney is almost appropriate, actually, because we're going to start by talking about taxis, but not the hackney carriages. Uber, of course, which continues to be the top priority of most uh, London newsrooms um, at the moment. Now, a few things have happened in the week since we recorded last week's episode. Um, When we left the show last time, we knew that the CEO of Uber was going to be coming over to the UK and having a meeting uh, here in London with the head of TfL. Um, And that did happen, but not before Uber's London-based head of their entire Northern Europe affairs uh, announced that she was leaving the company um, during this period while the company's trying to get its local license renewed. Um, So in an email to staff, um, this was according to the BBC, Joe Bertram said, I've decided to move on to something new and exciting. And Uber said that her departure is not actually connected with recent events, but Uh. like an excited balloon animal party clown, it's a huge blow. Um, this is terrible news for Uber, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's, all, it's you know, it's catastrophic. That company is in big trouble. Um, and even even aside from the licensing issue, um, it's quite obvious that Uber is in a state of some chaos from almost every angle. Be it in the US from Travis, what's his face? Kalani, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know, over here from you know, I, I've I have heard rumours that staff turnover there is considerable. Um, I think a few people have got a few key people have gone. Um, but I it, I just think that they've I in some ways I can't believe how how hard they seem to be finding it to sort their act out. I mean, the, the requirements that people have for them are re- relatively minimal. Like people all people want to do is, um, you know, to know that um, crime is taken seriously um, and that's a very easy thing for Uber to do, you know, if, if it feels like, uh, you know, if, if it gets reports of people having incidents in its in its taxis, then it all it has to do is act on that in some manner. And that would probably, you know, help people feel a lot more positively towards the company, you know, plus not fighting against its staff uh, for their rights and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, you know, none of this is connected particularly to this news. But I think, well, in fact, actually, that's not true. It probably is connected because I imagine it's extremely frustrating to work at Uber and to see these common sense changes that need to be made and to witness them not being made. Yeah. I mean, the other side of this, of course, is that Uber will probably be aware that whatever decision is agreed upon with with London with regards to how Uber needs to change is going to set something of a new precedent for how other cities around the world who similarly maybe frown upon Uber's presence there are going to maybe want to be treated themselves by Uber. So they need to do a bit of damage control 
you know, with a sort of forward-looking perspective here, um, and and that's probably part of the reasons why these negotiations negotiations um, are quite tense. Um, but the meeting did happen. Um, the Guardian reported that Uber and Transport for London are going to have to hold further peace talks, though, because they failed to reach an agreement at a meeting with the TfL commissioners, a guy called Mike Brown, earlier this week. Um, as we said, the CEO has been there personally trying to sort this out. Uh, a TfL spokesperson said. Today's constructive meeting centred on what needs to happen to ensure a thriving taxi and private hire market in London where everyone operates to the same high standards. Further steps in this process will take place over the coming weeks. So the meeting was, I think, tentatively reported as being constructive, but the fact that it ended without a resolution isn't necessarily a very good sign you know I, I, uh, yeah I mean, because if, the, from... if, there were, if this was going to be something that could be solved quite quickly with a, okay we'll do this this and this it would have been done by now the fact that it hasn't or at least if it has we certainly don't know about it i think is a sign that negotiation somebody's going to have to give and it's probably going to be uber well we've always known that uber doesn't like to um doesn't like to follow the rules um, we've seen before. Um, there've been th- there've been cases in America where certain states have said, "Right, you can't operate here unless your drivers have been background checked or something like that." Yeah. And Uber has just said, "Well, we don't want to we don't want to background check people or, or whatever." Um, and so they have a history of not wanting to do things that seem pretty reasonable. Uh, and and I suppose part of any negotiation is to push back a bit. Um, because that's what a negotiation is, isn't it? Ultimately, two sides want to, you know, get their own interests represented, and uh, they can't do that by walking in and going, "Yes, are we?" One of us, a hundred percent, agrees with the other. That's just not how it works. Yeah. Um, Transport for London has to surely take its own share of the responsibility for this, because you know it's in charge of regulating Uber. If if Uber's been failing at this stuff, it's because Transport for London hasn't been pulling them up on it sooner. And let's not forget that, you know, the uh, our, our Prime Minister, Theresa May, hasn't exactly been supportive of what TfL's done. She thinks it's, it's heavy-handed, I think. Or, or, well, or, that's because Transport for London's being run by Sadiq Khan and, you know... There's no way that Theresa May and Sadiq Khan will see eye to eye, is there? And for, the, for those who don't know, uh, Sadiq Khan is part of the op- opposition party, Labour, whereas oh, Theresa May is conservative. So yeah. they're always at, at, at uh, bumping horns. But um, but speaking of Sadiq Khan, um, he, he is the mayor of London and he did welcome, um, well, according to Reuters at least, he said he welcomed the humility shown by Uber's boss. And he had been critical of, of Uber in the past and said that um, instead of hiring an army of PR experts and lawyers, the firm needed to address issues raised by TfL. But this week, apparently, he said, what gives me confidence about the TfL decision is the fact that the global chief executive officer for Uber apologised to London. He said that on a broadcast on uh, LBC Radio. He continues, I think that bodes well in relation to the humility which hasn't been shown by Uber London or Uber UK. So the, the, reading between the lines there, it's it's almost like he's saying, yeah, we know the mothership's in good hands, but your local office is in the hands of idiots. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, even that's I, I don't I don't think you could have a local office that's that far astray without there being a corporate problem in the whole company. Well, there, there is. I mean, and, they, you know, they've they've said this. I mean, Travis Kalanick said that that things needed to change and it was obvious. But, you know, you, you look at some of the, the company culture that's managed to seep through into the public eye. And, and you know, that's 
it, it's kind of it's endemic, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's in the heart. They need to change everything. Um, but this guy seems to be, you know, batting for the right team as far as positive change is concerned. So we'll keep our eye on this. Um, I'm sure other people will be reporting this while I'm on my honeymoon. Um, but if you have any <laughs> thoughts in the meantime, uh, before I'm back, do let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, there are plans away to replace paper tickets on UK trains. Uh, in fact, they're already underway and they're going to be accelerated. This is according to Chris Grayling, who is the government's transport secretary. Uh, the BBC reported that passengers will be able to use mobile phones and smart cards to travel across most of the UK's rail network by the end of next year. And he said this at the Conservative conference. Um, Grayling said he wanted smart ticketing to become the norm uh, with new t- uh, new technology, pardon me, to be trialled by the end of this year to allow season ticket holders to travel without paper. Now, the season ticket here is the key because in London, most of well, I say most of us, certainly I, never have a paper ticket. Everything's on my phone or everything's contactless and has been for a very, very long time. I never even think about paper tickets anymore unless I'm doing a journey outside of what I'm ordinarily doing but this is going to apply to many many parts of the country that don't have this sort of technology but they might have access to that technology like they've got an iphone they can't use it to pass through a a ticket barrier but maybe now you can um and there there have been some advances in this i know that the uh, the virgin pendolino route from london euston to manchester you can use paperless tickets um for that you can scan them at the gates and they open from the phone so some program uh, sorry some progress is being made um grayling did say though he was setting out details of an 80 million pound program um to to bring all this to life using mobile phones for tickets and barcodes for tickets um and he wants it to be across the whole network by next year so interesting ian i believe so things seem on track would you uh, say i yeah the public has been trained well it's somewhat hard to uh to gauge that's a really good tra- that's a really good train joke actually that's a I very mean, good point s- some oh, some people probably won't get it but you know no. um right yeah uh, do i care about this um a, a quick question for you actually yes um when you come into london for your work um yes. as i'm aware you live outside london and work inside london mm-hmm. um do you use a season ticket to do that or do you use a, a pay-as-you-go system at the moment, I'm using a pay-as-you-go system, yeah, which is but, paperless. Yeah. Ordinarily, though, I use a annual season ticket, which is yeah. paper. I just haven't yeah. renewed it yet. So sure, okay. So well, so that that, that um, so you are a, a paper ticket guy as well. I am, and I'll tell you one of the main reason why I'm particularly excited about this is because there is a real jobs worth at my local train station. Uh, Short a little guy who loves to cause problems for people, and. The season tickets, because they have a little magnetic barcode thing or whatever it is on the back, it regularly doesn't work. And in fact, mine didn't work for about six months of the last year that I had it. So every single day I had to show this ticket to this guy and he sort of looks at the ticket and looks at me and goes, doesn't it work? I'm like, no, go through the motions every morning. No, and he's like, I'll try it and I'll put it through the machine. doesn't work. So opens the gates. And honestly, I mean, I, I, I could slap him sometimes and he's got a 
beautiful bald head. I could make a great sound off that head. And I can get rid of that with a paperless ticket. Sort sort of important to point out to people who are going, well, why does that matter? Um, You can't get a replacement paper ticket very easily if your magnetic stripe stops working. Um, So it, it is... Um, it is a bit of an issue. Uh, you, uh, you can have it replaced once in a year, can't you, or something, but any more than that, and they charge you the full price for a new one. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, never, I've never done that. I, I'm it, just... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, the whole ticketing system is a, is a bit of a mess. Um, but I just don't understand how... I mean, I suppose there's lots of barriers to upgrade. I just don't really understand how it wasn't all done at the same time that they started doing Oyster. Um, you know, ha- and have a system very similar to that. Uh, it yeah. just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. And there are there are connecting systems outside of London that are um, that are the same basic ID. You know, they're, they're, they're RFID tags, aren't they? Um, but of course, never the twain shall meet. You know, you don't you can't use those things in London. You can't use Oyster or um, contactless in general outside of uh, if you're if you're talking about say Apple Pay or something like that. You can't use that outside of uh, zones one to whatever they are six. You know, you know we've got a very London centric view on this because we we have a lot of this technology here already, but but a lot of places don't. So very interesting to know um, from people outside of London where you're already using paperless ticketing systems and uh, what you're using for that how has it changed things for you um and uh anything related to that i think it'd be interesting to get some uh, some national and international perspective on that do let us know podcast at natelangson.com Well, this week, TechCrunch wrote that in the ongoing war against online extremism, the UK government has said it intends to change the law to bring in tougher sentences for people who repeatedly view terrorist content online. It's in fact going to increase the maximum penalty to up to 15 years in prison. Um, The government plugs, or at least wants to plug, what Home Secretary Amber Rudd, um, who knows everything about tech and encryption, um, says is a gap in the law around material that's streamed or viewed online instead of being permanently downloaded. Um, It follows a move by the Home Office actually to increase pressure on um, tech platforms to remove extremist content um, and we've obviously seen recently in Germany the kind of hate speech laws um, be put in place. So there's a, there's a big war going on um, around uh, social media separately. But this is about terrorist content being streamed outside of just social media. Now, the question I have in, and maybe your yeah. sharp intake of, intake of breath there, was a preemptive intake for this point. I don't know how the hell they are meant to, investigators that is, are meant to determine whether an individual has repeatedly viewed illegal content. I mean, the tech story did note that we now have a law in the US, in the UK, sorry, that means big ISPs have to keep uh, activity logs of, of web browsing for 12 months. So technically, I suppose, if someone was caught doing it once, they could look through the logs, see that they've done it a dozen times and then get time in jail. But... I, how exactly that's going to be done is is very difficult well, and what exactly good they're hoping to achieve from it uh, is a, another entirely it's a deterrent, different argument isn't it? it's a deterrent it is a deterrent but it's not a very good one is it because if you want to circumvent that it's a vpn away from happening yes you know there's or you know or just clever encryption or you know there's all sorts I, of ways I should, I, should, I should point out that to our patreon listeners my one of my my weekly column this week was about my favorite vpn just to clarify i didn't write that <laughs> because i want to help terrorists i wrote no. it because i wanted to play the elder scrolls online over a corporate wi-fi network but this Very is the different. problem isn't it this is the problem right so uh, we're starting to see 
the the idea that you know you you just ha- you've just had to make it clear that you're not trying to make it possible for people to uh, use a VPN to commit acts of terror. But the fact is that our, we're not com- none of us is committing an act of terror. We're all rightly concerned about the the, the reach the government has into our lives. And a lot of us just want to be left alone. I don't want my yearly web browsing kept by my ISP. I don't want the government to have access to that under any circumstances. We all know that they will abuse it. That they will, no matter what they say about warrants or court oversight, it is just nonsense. If they want to get someone for whatever, then they almost certainly can make a, a go of it with metadata. Um, the Americans have said that they've. Um, killed people with using metadata as evidence um and that that should alarm people like i'm not pretending i'm not i'm not i don't think i'm any real major risk from this um but i i just hate it i hate everything about it i understand that you have to do law enforcement but i refuse to accept that um you know keeping logs of everything and you know all that kind of uh, jazz is is essential for the majority of the public i think you have to do what they used to do which is use intelligence to find out who you should be looking at and then get the court to agree it and sign off on it. Mass collection of data is is deeply offensive. But, you know, it, again, it, it, I am I know what will happen. We saw it with that, do you remember the Twitter joke trial years ago? Yeah, the bombing of the plane guy, yeah. yeah. Well, and his uh, life know, was pretty much ruined over it, that. It was. It took, and, it, and, and even if you say that he eventually managed to get his life back together... Uh, which he did, um, he'd still had to go through years and years of legal cases to get to the point where they were able to say, we actually, we overstepped on this. Um, and that would, uh, without, um, I, 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 you know, donations from the public, the involvement of people like, uh, you know, Graham Linehan and the Electronic Frontier Foundation, all people like that who got involved and helped pay for things, you know, that that guy would have been ruined. And these are the things that just destroy lives. And it was a, over a joke, what was clearly a joke. So you've got to then think, you know, like, what what happens if, um, I don't know, someone sends you an email with a clip in it that you haven't chosen to do? And, or, you know, or if, you've, if you just, if someone sets out to frame somebody in a very silly way, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if this would happen, but if you wanted to make someone look bad, it becomes even easier if you make these laws. It doesn't seem to address to me the, the real issue. Um, and it doesn't, like, the, the problem isn't the viewing of extreme content, which, of course, no one in their right mind wants to do anyway. The problem is, you know, what is, why are these people going and doing these things? And I don't think you're going to solve that by randomly locking people up. Well, one uh, of the things that I would point out is that the Home Office has said that um, this is only going to apply to people who are seen to repeatedly view it. And, and it's, it's it, a way... Though, I mean, it, again, there is la- a complete lack of clarity about what it actually is. What, yeah, what is terrorist material? But the, but the idea, at least, is, is to avoid criminalising people, like you said, who've clicked out of curiosity or accidentally or been sent something as a prank you know and it's weird because i don't know if similar if similar provisions apply to things like to other illegal content online like child porn or something like if somebody if you accidentally click a link to something like that and you get caught yeah you use the same 
defense. I mean, they, they say here that um, that there's also a defense of something called reasonable excuse that would apply to academics and journalists or other people who have a, a legitimate mm. reason yeah, sure. to, to view the material, if, you know, researcher or, or something, according to the Guardian um, writer yeah. of, of this piece. So like, there's provisions there to protect the genuinely innocent, but it's how they will sort of find and prosecute the genuinely guilty that leaves a lot more questions to be answered i believe but yeah well I, follow- I don't think they're doing a good enough job of any of that explanation and that's a lot a big part of my problem uh, you know and then amber rudd turns up and doesn't understand encryption well the problem with amber rudd is that she thinks that a hashtag and the hashing of um data it seems to be interchangeable yeah well, uh, also, she doesn't, understand, she doesn't understand encryption. She admits she doesn't understand it, but she also says she doesn't want to learn and doesn't understand, you know, why, you know, she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. This is bonkers to me. It is not a difficult concept to get your head around. It is easily explainable. Well, you know, you've got to take responsibility if you're going to be in charge of a department that is trying to get access to people's private stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would argue that, you know, if if she was a surgeon, I would be very concerned if she said, you know, she doesn't need to understand how the heart works in order to perform thoracic surgery. I would say, well, actually, yes, you do. I would I would definitely, definitely like you to understand how the heart works before you cut me open and remove it. So, you know, I don't believe you need to be an absolute expert on absolutely everything, but you need to admit that you there's room for improvement before you enact enormously sweeping laws. I just on, feel like everybody. there are more than enough experts in the world who can advise on this kind of stuff. They're all t- all the experts are telling the government that you cannot stop this. You know, can't stop encryption, and if you ask for backdoors, then you know people with a, a malicious intent will develop their own apps or the, their own way of communicating you can't stop it the only way to stop it is to to do your best with policing and ultimately in this you know we, we've just seen it in america we've saw it in manchester that you know it is a, a, a horrible part of living in a, you know in the west if you like or any in fact anywhere that's nonsense it happens everywhere there will always be people who will seek to harm others and we can only do our best to try and stop them. Bit of a fun one, this, everybody. Uh, London's National Theatre is trialling a new technology for a year that involves guests with hearing impairments wearing augmented reality glasses that overlay captions and subtitles in their vision while they watch a performance on stage. Um, there was a BBC video produced about this, and the, the glasses look a bit like the old Google Glass, if you remember those. These mm. are manufactured by Epson. They're a bit bit bigger, but the, but the general design is, is quite similar. I know the product well, actually. Well, you know, the, what the Epson's done with the, the, those glasses in the past. Ah, well, we'll come to that. Um, it's designed to complement these LED displays, although I suppose really it's designed to replace them. They look a bit like those things you see at train terminals with the times and, and things on them, but essentially they display captions for the deaf or deaf or hearing impaired. But apparently they can be a bit of a distraction to the rest of the audience. So this this AR tech is designed to be a more subtle, maybe more yeah. personal approach to this problem. One of the people that I saw try this on said that the glasses were a bit uncomfortable, but they sort of acknowledged that the usefulness way far outweighed the um, the physical impact, and, and that actually was is quite amazing. Yeah, so, I think it's a great idea. What I mean, you know, why not? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's, great use for AR. It's and it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop anyone else from enjoying the performance, or you know, it's not going to impact anyone who doesn't want to use it. Like you know, it's it's just a nice way of using tech to make things more accessible. I like yeah. it. So, so what else did these glasses get used for then? You said you'd familiar with oh, them. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I, I had I had a, a it, I think it's a fundamentally different product, but Epson uh, had this um, sort of, it was before, it was before VR. Really, it was more about, a, a, you know, display kind of tech. The idea was that you could, you know, you would get on a plane and plug in your phone and you'd be able to watch a movie or something like that. Um, it wasn't that impressive, but getting a screen that's legible and works well in those things and uh, is quite difficult. And uh, obviously, Epson's got a lot of exp- experience with projectors and stuff like that, and it's all it's all kind of tied into that. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I guess people aren't buying those products; they're not interested in them. So to use them for accessibility makes loads of sense. Yeah, well, the trial is ongoing for the next year. I'm, I'm looking forward to giving it uh, giving it a try. But if uh, if you've seen it or if you've used anything similar, I'd love to hear examples of that. Podcast at natelangson.com. That's going to do it for our news uh, for this week. It does lead me to want to mention that you should be following us on at text message pod on Twitter uh, as a source for all UK specific tech news throughout the week. Um, there's a lot of stories that we posted that all, all of which make it to the show Um or rather, that is to say, everything that's on the show was on the Twitter. Uh, but so is a lot of other stuff that we didn't talk about. We've got stories in there about the UK um, giving WhatsApp another spanking. And there's another Amber Rudd related story uh, for end-to-end um, encryption. We've got a story about the NHS trialing a gig economy app for nurses. Stuff about DeepMind, stuff about uh, Nokia's next release of the 3310 and, and lots more besides. So we try and keep it as interesting and active as possible. So do give us a follow there at text message pod. Well, let's dive into our emails for this week. This comes from Keith. Uh, he says, Hi, Nathan Ian. I have an Amazon Fire TV stick running Kodi. Um, also, uh, a cheap Android with Kodi installed for when I work night shifts. Um, I used to pay for Sky TV, BT Sport, Netflix, etc. But now I have a family and simply can't. He says that his setup at home has an HD FreeSat box. He's got it plugged into PlusNet Fiber um, for recording free satellite channels built-in OD apps, uh, on demand that is, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, 5 and such, and then the Fire Stick for paid content like Game of Thrones. He says, I'm a believer in paying for TV, but only the things I actually watch. I enjoy sport, but not all of it, and I never really get into the hot new TV series very often. I love MotoGP, brackets, racing of prototype motorcycles and tarmac circuits, (laughs) Nate. He knows I know nothing about sport, uh, and rugby, but my problem is the time and money balance. So he says, um, if you buy Sky Sports, it means football, which I can't stand, so I don't want to pay for it if I'm not watching it. Also, I could just pay for rugby or MotoGP. Um, I won't because I don't have the time to make use of it anyway as spending time with my son is more important Um, he goes on to say that his wife's a big DVD fan and they usually use the Kodi to watch films or TV box sets um, that they already own uh, out of sheer convenience if she's at home and he's at work they can watch the latest Game of Thrones or an old episode of Friends while on FaceTime together and simply stop the stream downstairs and resume it on the TV in the bedroom um, he said, finally, um, I have a slow-burning plan of converting all our DVDs to MP4 and playing them from my WD My Cloud drive and buying future box sets from Amazon, but my rattly old Windows laptop isn't really up to the task and I can't justify the price. So 
That's why he uses Cody. It's largely for convenience, for time shifting, and for not wildly overpaying for stuff he doesn't want, which I think's, you know, pretty fair. I will also say, I use a WD MyCloud, and I've also ripped a lot of DVDs and then gave them all to a charity shop. And it's a very, very good system. And I adore that little piece of hardware. I did one of the very first reviews of it ever um, when it was first released. And I've been a fan of it ever since. So interesting. Good choice. I, I, maybe I, I, I should I write about you, that didn't I? When we, had a, when we met up at a pub, you, you use this WD MyCloud thing. And I, I'm like, I, I am befuddled by the fact that you're not using Plex. Well, it supports Plex. You can install Plex on it. Well, you should install Plex on it. Nah, that's it's no point. Much better. I'm happy it's with the system. I like a simple Plex folder tree is format. So good. Well, um, yes, but but that's that... help me, listeners. Help me convince him. <laughs> it's pointless. But it's pointless. Yeah, I'm not buying. Uh, I'm not using Plex, and I'm not buying a shoehorn. I've told you this. <laughs> I'm going to give you a shoehorn. <laughs> well, you can give me a shoehorn if you wish <laughs> for the wedding. Um, but so, thank you to Keith. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, thank you to our patrons. Um, that's going to do it for most of this week's show. I did want to mention, though, we're going to hear from Tom in a sec. Um, but I was on DTNS Daily Tech News Show. Episode 3131 on Thursday, just gone. So by the time you're listening to this episode, we'll have done it. Um, So if you'd like to go and listen to Tom and Sarah and the gang and I um, listen to the show we did together, then you can. It's on that feed. Tom is also doing a live show in London, too, on Monday, the 9th of October, which, again, if you're listening to it as this episode comes out, you should just be in time to go and join him. Ian's going to be there on the panel. Our friend Will Harris is going to be on the panel. Um, And you can... The handy URL that you're after, of course, is bit.ly slash DTNS London. Go and meet Tom. Go and meet Ian. And uh, while you're waiting, though, let's listen to Tom and hear about what's been going on in the wider world of tech this week. Tom! Hey, thanks, Nate, and it was lovely seeing you both this weekend. This week on DTNS, we discussed AIs being trained to argue, Samsung joining the Windows Mixed Reality Parade, Google's 1500 product announcements, the state of Uber in that secret financial capital you call London, and we did a show live from LA Podfest. All that, and Sarah Lane joined the crew too at dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you, chaps. Cheers, Tom. Anyone else, let us know any thoughts you have. Podcast at natelangson.com. Follow us on Twitter at TextMessagePod. Thank you again to our patrons and our free listeners for supporting us. Um, anyone who wants to try our Patreon um, support, they can from as little as $1 per week. Uh, and of course, for $2 a week, you get access to our extended version of the show. Um, and I think with that, I have to go and do a marriage thing and get a wife. Uh, and then next week, look out for our special episode reviewing the iphone 8 and the apple watch and we'll see you for a regular show in two weeks time ian can you get your suit ready please i need you at the altar (laughs) certainly bye everyone